Welcome back to a new episode of the All Things Croatia podcast. I'm your host, Stan Kozovac. Born and raised in Los Angeles, I'm now living in Zagreb and studying the Croatian language. Before we start, just do me a favor and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening, as well as the Facebook and Instagram page. In this series, I'll be talking with people both in the homeland and around the globe who have connections to Croatia. We'll hear from startups, returning diaspora, musicians and athletes, and the biggest Croatian celebrities that will return my calls. But enough about me. Idem Moldalje, and let's get started. All right, welcome back to the podcast, everyone. In this episode, I'm speaking with New Zealand Croat Anthony Posha. Anthony played rugby for the Croatian national team for 10 years and helped put Croatian rugby on the map. And now he's coaching with the national team and helping develop new talent. Today, we're going to learn a little bit more about him and the Croatian rugby scene in general. Anthony, thanks for coming on the podcast. You're more than welcome. Um, the pleasure is all mine. Yeah. And, you know, I wanted to ask you right off the bat, because me being from the U.S., you know, not a huge rugby country, and I really didn't know about, I mean, Europe in general, but of course, especially Croatia, you know, was rugby always popular? When did it sort of get big over in Croatia or when did the scene sort of come on? Um, unfortunately, rugby is a minor sport. Um, as you know, I'm from New Zealand and rugby in New Zealand's the number one sport. It's like religion, you know. Uh, grandmas, can, you can go into a shop and talk to a grandmother and she'll know who's in, in our all-black team, which is our national team. Uh, but mm. rugby in Croatia is, is a minor sport. Uh, I think it started in Zagreb uh, around the universities in the 1960s, I think, if I'm led to believe. But there's, there's basically eight to ten clubs in Croatia, four big ones at the moment. There's a couple in Zagreb, uh, one in Splits, one in Scene, where the army base was. But rugby's been going there since the 1960s, more or less. And uh, it, it's, like I said, it's not a major sport, but the people that do play it or follow it are really passionate about it. Um, I suppose that's a creation trait, our passion. Um, so, no, the, the boys or the, and the girls that play rugby, they sacrifice a lot because it's not a professional sport. It's an amateur sport, and but they're very passionate about it. Hmm. I'm sure it's not an easy sport to play. I mean, either it looks like it, you know, I, I, of course, I don't know much being from LA about rugby, but even I know, you know, New Zealand, that's the rugby country. Yeah. Yeah. New Zealand's very proud of their, of their rugby nation. Um, but, uh, for people that don't know rugby, the, the two things that I say is that it's sort of similar to American football, but without, there's no forward passes and there's no helmets or protective gear. And the hmm. other thing that's great about rugby, especially when I, when I talk to kids that are thinking about taking up the sport, is that it's one of the unique sports where uh, no matter what size or shape or, or you know or how you're built, there's a position for you. So we've got big guys, small guys, fast guys, slow guys, strong guys. You know, uh, every animal in the zoo has a position in, in the <laughs> in a rugby team. You got the rhinoceros, you got the tiger, you got the cheetah, you got the lion, you got the monkey, you got everything. You know, so it's it's pretty cool. Huh, that's interesting because, yeah, I imagine rugby is just all, everyone is just these big, huge guys, you know. Oh, no, 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 no. Like, uh, like the halfbacks in rugby, the, the, the halfback and the, and the standoff, that's sort of like your quarterbacks in, in American football. They're, they're your intelligent guys and they're picked not for their size but for their game management or their, or their intelligence. Um, the big guys in the scrum, they're picked uh, on how hard they push, really, and, and the tall guys are needed for the line-out to win the ball, sort of like basketball. Uh, the fast guys are out on the wing. That's sort of like you're running back in American football. So, yeah, there's, hmm. there's a position for everybody. Huh, yeah, so it's more nuanced than I guess yeah, I would yeah. assume. Well, uh, Anthony, tell me a little about your Croatian background. I'm 100% Croatian. Uh, so that by that, to, to 
to illustrate that, all four of my grandparents were born in Croatia, and all four of my grandparents emigrated to New Zealand, oh, geez, uh, 80, 80 odd years ago. Um, I, times were tough in the in the former Yugoslavia, and they went down to the sort of promised land, and they did jobs like gum digging, which sort of evolved into uh, one side of my family. My dad's side had a vineyard uh, that was very popular for the Croatian immigrants in New Zealand. They started growing wine because they, they liked the land in New Zealand many years ago. Uh, my mum's side, they they their main job growing up, they were had a fish and chip shop. <laughs> that was just what it was. And unfortunately, my mother's side, they didn't really speak Croatian at home because they tried to involve themselves into New Zealand style. So they spoke English at home. So as a result, my Croatian language, language wasn't very good. But um, before my late grandmother or Baba passed, uh, I managed to speak to her in, in her native tongue, which was a pretty special moment for me. You know, so uh, I've learned hmm. it since I've since I've. Well, I'm still not very good, but I've, I've learned enough to converse uh, since I uh, uh, came over here and, and helped, started helping the boys. But um, so I'm 100% Croatian, but a second generation Kiwi or, or New Zealander. Mm-hmm. And were your your mom's side and your dad's side both from the same part of Croatia or different? Uh, similar. So. De- uh, my dad's side's from Korchula, a little village called Pupnat in Korchula. I had the fortune, I was fortunate enough to be there just two days ago, which was brilliant. Um, one of my favorite places in the world is Pupnatski Luka, which is just a beautiful inlet uh, on the north side of Korchula. The water there's so clear, you know, it's just paradise. Um, and my mum's father is from Virgilac, uh, which is on the hills up past Makaska there. Okay, yeah, yeah. You know, Vrgorac is actually, that's the border town that I go through when I go into Herzegovina to, you know, meet with my family over there. And I saw just on your Instagram the other day, you mentioned you were over in uh, Korchula and there was someone who was cutting some pursuit there. Oh, that looks so good. I got real hungry watching that. <laughs> yeah, yeah <laughs> mate, I'm a sucker for that, mate. You know, so, I mean, uh, I, I love the creation lifestyle, the food, everything about, you know, I, I really enjoy, I really enjoyed coming here as a player and, and playing for Croatia. That was, you know, a pretty proud moment for me and and i'm fortunate enough to relive that pride now that i'm that i'm coaching the rugby teams mm-hmm. well talk to me a little about your your playing days i guess you could say <laughs> you know how did, how did your career sort of start and then where did it end up that you ended up playing for croatia uh, I'll, I'll try and keep it as brief as possible my, my dad was a very good rugby player um and he made a very high level in new zealand so it was sort of uh, inbred to me, if that, if, you may, if that makes sense, from a very young age, I, I, I followed him around. Rugby wasn't professional back then. It is now in New Zealand, but it wasn't back then. So my mother had to work um, as well as my father. So as a baby, I used to go to my father's games and, and watch everything, you know, and take everything in. And uh, I, I was just fascinated by everything about the sports. And so I've grown up around the sport. Uh, we, my local rugby club in New Zealand had a very strong creation culture. There, there were a lot of Croatian men and women there involved in the club, as well as other cultures. You know, so I grew up around uh, around rugby. Um, I did my best. I went to you know a fantastic rugby school and um, I played a, a decent level, uh, not not quite as good as my dad. And I sort of found found out pretty early that my dream, as every other boy's dream in New Zealand, to, is to play for the All Blacks, wasn't going to happen. So rather than staying in New Zealand, in New Zealand, I used rugby as a ticket to see Europe. Um, and so I came over and played and uh, I, I had a season in Italy. I had played in Japan and um, ended up in Croatia and, and I, 
settled in Makaskau for three or so years and played for started playing for the Croatian national team then and got to see the world through rugby, you know, which was just amazing, you know. I, I mean, places you never dream of going to on holiday that you end up there because you're playing for Croatia, you know. I don't know, I, I can give so many examples. Ukraine, Russia, uh, Italy, you, um, Poland, everything in Europe. Um, we also, I've been to Fiji, uh, we played in the New Zealand Sevens. It was just um amazing time of my life. And then I got a contract to play in Scotland. So I played in Scotland and that was about 2000. Met my lovely wife there and uh, I thought I'd just do a couple of years playing there. And because I was, you know, pretty successful, uh, as I started moving into coaching, I became a player coach, had some success and we kept thinking we'll immigrate to New Zealand or we'll go back to New Zealand. And uh, 20 years later, and I've got three lovely kids and I'm still in, <laughs> still based in England. And, and the it's a little bit funny, but it's also very real now because my kids all, all have their own lives and they're all teenagers. And But the upside of not going back to New Zealand has, has been that I'm still pretty close to Croatia. So um, it means that um, I can now hopefully uh, share my expertise in the sport with inspiring rugby players from Croatia, you know, so that's a probably a 30, 40 year story and uh, hopefully just two, three minutes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, you cut down the time for sure on that. You know, now when you say you played in Makarska for Croatia, is that you were in a club in Makarska playing yeah, against so other Croatian back, back teams? Makarska, yeah, it was both, mate. So I played for Makarska in the Croatian club competition and we had a bit of a golden era. Um, Makarska never, I don't think it won anything before and whilst we were there, I was there with two or three other Kiwis and we, we managed to win the Croatian Championship and we won a couple of other mid-European things as well that were going on then and had an amazing time. Um, played for the national team too. Uh, one little story in particular I'll share with you. We played Italy, who are quite an established rugby nation, um, in Makarska for qualification for the World Cup of 1999. It was a massive game and uh, uh, this was not in summer in Makarska, so this was just before the summer season had started. So back then there were 17,000 people living in Makarska we had 10,000 at our game. Wow. We had Torcida come, the Torcida fan club from Hydrox Split came. It was oh. such an amazing time. Uh, and that, if anyone knows Makaska, you know where the sports club is, where this my football team play. Mm -hmm. It's an idyllic, idyllic uh, sort of setting for a field. You've got the mountains, the palm trees, the sea. And we had Torcida there. We had 10,000 people there. We had fireworks going off. It was just unbelievable. Man, that sounds um, crazy. Yeah. yeah, it was it was awesome. It was awesome. Um, um, unfortunately, so I played for Croatia from 1996 to 2006, and I finished at Makarska in 2000, and that's when I got my contract to go play in Scotland. And I was two or three years in Scotland. Then I ended up going to England and was a player coach in England, and then the rest is history. Really, I'm, I've been in Europe ever since. I mean, what was it like going from, I know you didn't go immediately from playing in the New Zealand leagues to in the Croatian league. I guess you were in Italy before that in Scotland. Yeah. But um, going to not even, you know, one of the bigger cities in Croatia, but Makarska, which is a beautiful city, but, you know, population wise and rugby not being a yeah, professional sport, what, was there a big difference in, I guess, yeah, rugby culture? Yeah, of course, culture? there was a massive difference. Um, rugby, we... we you know, it wasn't just me. There was, you know, a bunch of New Zealanders and maybe an Australian or two that, that were coming over and sort of living the life and enjoying the experience of Croatia. But, you know, uh, Nada Split have a, have a very, one of the major teams in, in Croatia. And uh, so we were playing Zagreb. We had a, Zagreb had 
a team called Zagreb. There's also another team called Mlados. There was another one called Lokomotiva. We had two Slovenian teams playing also in our league. Uh, one was Ljubljana, uh, Bezograd. Um, so we had like an eight to ten team league. It was it was brilliant. And um, the rugby, if you're asking, it wasn't the best standard, but because uh, we come from an established rugby nation, all of us, we had the effect not just on the field but off the field for local players to become better. Um, so the standard raised pretty quickly, you know, and um, there were some great local players, you know, by that I mean Croatian-born players that that uh, applied themselves and, and became, you know, very, very good rugby players and great teammates of mine when I was playing for the national team, you know, so they, they just, they sacrificed so much to, to, to give to the sport because to play rugby at a, at, a, at a decent level, you really got to, you know, you got to sacrifice a lot of you, especially if you're not getting paid, you know, with training wise and looking after your body and you're basically going into car crashes every week. Controlled car crashes is what some doctor in the UK used to call them. You know, it's so, no, it was, it was an amazing time. Mm-hmm. And that was the, I mean, you called it the golden age. And I've read that in the Croatia Week article as well, that that was the golden age of, you know, the yeah. Croatian rugby. And since then, what has happened? Has that standard been kept or? Uh, well, back then we got to, I think it was 26 in the world for, for rugby 15s. That's that's what the standard rugby game that you play. And then there's an abbreviated rugby game, which is very popular, which is now an Olympic sport called rugby sevens. And in sevens, we got to 16th in the world. And so we were sort of riding the wave, and, and uh, if I look back now, I'm not putting the finger at anybody, but one thing that we probably got wrong is we were so caught up in our success and what we were doing really well that we didn't really look ahead and we didn't really prepare for the future of the sport um, because it was all new to us, you know. And I look, I look back now, and what should have been happening is myself and other players like me should have been going into schools and trying to get more players you know, to participate in the sport and build from build foundations, you know, and we sort of didn't. And what ended up happening was, for whatever reason, the New Zealand boys stopped coming over. And because I was based in the UK, I kept playing for Croatia throughout the early 2000s. And I, I went from the whole, you know, well, not the whole, sorry, but, you know, half the team being from New Zealand to just me being from New Zealand. And the standards started dropping off the field as well. And um, results became a little bit harder to come by. And, we just went through a, a bit of a tough patch and um, we, we recognised it as a union and, and, you know, we started getting a different set of uh, to help us and, and we started towards the late sort of 2000, 2010, around that era, we started competing again. So we fell away, but it's a bit of a roller coaster if, if you like. Um, you know, everything's easier with hindsight, but um, mm-hmm. uh, we just threw through a tough patch after that brilliant patch and, if I look back now and we had that time again, not just me, but I'm sure we would have invested a lot more into our kids, you know, or to creation kids. And hopefully now that we've having that success today in, in this era, I'm, I'm pretty confident that we're starting to get that right uh, with a number of clubs having kids teams for the first time in a long time, you know. Well, talking about, you know, investing in the youth and the future of rugby, I mean, how are you involved now with Croatian rugby? Fast forward to sort of the mid-2014, 15, around there. Uh, Croatia, at that, uh, you know, what's that now? Seven, eight years ago, nine years ago, we were being coached by another, a fellow Kiwi called Milan Jelovic, a very good coach. And uh, what I would try and do, because I was full-time coaching in England, is I would try and help Milan as much as possible, but I couldn't obviously commit to, to coming over every campaign 
because I'd had to put my club duties first. Um, anyway, that worked reasonably well. And then we got to, then COVID hit us all. And that sort of stopped Milan traveling because New Zealand had different restrictions to COVID as, as to some other countries in the world. And um, what ended up happening was just before COVID, I was coaching the sevens basically and Milan would coach the fifteens. And now after COVID, and we've been going sort of probably two and a half, three years now, no, two and a half years, Milan hasn't been able to travel. So I've basically taken over everything. So I've been coaching the 15s, the sevens. I've helped the girls sevens. I've coached the beach rugby, which we, we won a big tournament in Moldova last year. I'm doing as much as I can to help. So uh, my club and my sponsors for my initial job in England, because I coach a club and a university in England, as well as a representative team, they've been very understanding of basically just forewarned them that these are the times that I have to be away and I'm doing as much as I can to uh, grow the sport and, and we've been rewarded with superb success over these over these last 18 months in particular. It's really come off, um, which is a bit of a miracle because we haven't had the outside help that we normally have before COVID, you know. Um, and now is the time that I hope, because we are having a bit of success on the field, I'm hoping that we're going to get it right off the field, you know. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I wanted to ask, how are kids nowadays in Croatia, you know, getting exposure to rugby? You know, who are, who are these types of kids who are signing up to play rugby? I mean, are, they, are there clubs that are in school and then they want to yeah, play more so, competitively? So, so the, the, the main clubs, not just the main clubs, sorry, a lot of clubs now. So you've got in the north, you've got uh, Zagreb, you've got Mlados, you've got Novi Zagreb. Uh, they're going into schools and I've seen them all got kids teams for every year from under sixes all the way through to under 18s. Hmm. Then in the south, you've got the established clubs, which are Nada and C, and but you've also got Makaska making a comeback, which is pretty special for me. And and Dubrovnik now have a, a very uh, have a lot of kids. So that there is eight clubs now. Uh, I think Rijeka as well has got a club that's nine that all have kids, and that wasn't happening. Well, well it was happening, but not to that degree before COVID. So most of those clubs I've listed there all have kids from six years old to 18 years old participating in sports. And to answer your question, that comes through them going into schools, that comes through now that we're live on TV, some of our games. Um, Obviously, success breeds success. So the national team is your flagship, and that's sort of what I've been in charge of. So, you know, if kids can watch their heroes on TV, and you know how it works, they'll want to emulate their heroes. And now we get those players going into schools, and, and I like to think, or I'm pretty sure that, when my players that play for the national team go back to their respective clubs, they go back with a bit more knowledge and a bit more enthusiasm and hope that that, that stuff rubs off on kids, you know? Hmm. Um, so that's how it's hopefully starting up so we get things right this time. Yeah. Well, I mean, that makes sense because I was wondering, it must be hard to try and sway kids from playing soccer, you know, or football. Uh, 100%. Especially 100%. in Croatia. Yeah, you're never going to compete with their major loves. You know, it's always going to be the rugby. It's not the rugby. So the the soccer and the and the basketball are kind of come first. But all we can do is give them an option. I, I I tell my own children that one of the best things I remember from when I was at uh, high school in New Zealand is that we tried every sport. Yeah, rugby was always number one, just like soccer is always going to be number one in Croatia. But I can remember playing American football at school. I can remember trying hockey or lacrosse or something. You know. The more sports the kids try, the more healthier it is. It's, it's definitely better than being on your on your PlayStations or Xboxes, you know. Um, so yeah. <laughs> for me, give these kids a shot because rugby is unique for the reasons I stated when we started talking, and, and it is pretty special. And 
for me, okay, I'm a little bit biased, but one thing rugby does when I when I teach when I sorry coach rugby in academies in, in the UK now, one thing it does it, it grows you as a person because you you have to grow, you have to learn certain skills, but it, it, it helps you. There's a respect in rugby that's probably not featured as so much in other sports. Like I'll give you a great example because I don't have to mention other sports. We have to respect the referee. If you don't respect the referee, you're off. There's a red card. So there's no swearing at the ref. There's no gesticulating at the referee. There's nothing like that. Hmm. There's a respect. We also, rugby, it's just normal to go and have a drink. It doesn't have to be a beer, but have a drink with the opposition after a game. Uh, you know, I can remember way back when uh, my Croatian teammates came to New Zealand for a training camp in the late 90s. I took them to a super rugby game, which is like a professional game in New Zealand. They couldn't believe that the opposition fans were sitting next to each other with no trouble. <laughs> you know, they, they, these were boys from Split that were wondering, you know, you couldn't go to a high dog Split game and have them sitting next to the Dynamo fans. <laughs> yeah, It's the same in Eddie, you know, but here they were watching the two. There was two of the biggest rugby teams in New Zealand and they were just sitting alongside joking with each other. No problem, you know. And there were girls watching too. They couldn't believe that either, you know. And it's just, we want to grow... The, the rugby is unique and what it what it, what it gives individuals on and off the field that's what i'm trying to say uh, well unique to me anyway hmm. but of course i'm biased <laughs> a little i'm sure but yeah that's interesting that they had um sort of a sports cultural shock you know seemed yeah, to, yeah very much so that's interesting and i wonder you brought up uh, playing other sports you know when you're young and i want to add that i think another good benefit of that because i'm a big fan of that is that you're not overtraining you know, if you're only playing one sport year round, I think, you know, when you're young, you can have a lot of overtraining issues. And if you're playing different sports, 100%. you know, you're using different muscle groups and, you know, training different styles. And so I'm a big supporter of that as well. well. I, I know I'm being a little bit, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, stereotypical here. But, you know, you, you've got your stereotypical football soccer players shape, haven't you? you? In soccer, you have to run. You have to be fit to run that, that far. But if you're a big guy, if you're naturally born a big guy, there's probably not a place for you on a, on a soccer field, hmm. which is a shame, you know. And then same for basketball, you know, very, you know, 90% of top basketball players have to be tall. I mean, of course, you've got your centers or your point guards that, that can be a little bit shorter, but still, you have to be tall. There's no sh no place there if you're a tiny guy, you know. So in rugby, as I tried to explain before, it, it, it's so unique that, that there is something for you. There is a position you can play that will suit your demographic or, or, the, or your build or your phys physicality strengths or whatever they are, you know. Um, so, you know, that's pretty unique in itself. And, and then we've got that sort of common respect. And, and there's a saying in England that I use when, I, when I'm when i in Croatia as well, is that that uh, soccer is, is, is a game uh, for gentlemen play, uh, followed by hooligans and, and rugby is a game for hooligans followed by gentlemen. And it's very, very true. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. Well, then, yeah, you, it seems that rugby is a little more inclusive as a, as a sport yeah, yeah. as far as, you know, yeah. different body types and... Um, I think that would be fair to say. Listen, like genetic. I said, soccer's number one in the world. Uh, we're never going to compete with it, but we can be alongside it quite easily, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, for me, if, if you're if you're not genetically gifted to, to, to be a soccer player, you can still follow the sport, you know, but play rugby, play something, play or play whatever sport that, you, that you're good at and you, and you want to be better at. Hmm. Yeah. Well, you know, um, the national team I saw got promoted recently. You know, can you talk yeah. a little about that and, you know, what's this new division? What sort of countries uh, uh, wow. are in that? Uh, so uh, pre-COVID, when we, we've been trying to get out some famous competition in Europe called the Six Nations. Um, that's with the big teams, which England, Ireland, Wales, France, uh, Italy, and Scotland. And that's the top division in, in Europe 
for the Northern Hemisphere. Um, below that, though, and for the rest of Europe, there's tiered sort of six nations all the way down four or five leagues. And Croatia, for a long time, since these started, have been in the sort of third rung down, third level of these nations. And we've always come close. We've always given it a go to be promoted. Um, so then, obviously, COVID happened. We lost uh, not just Milan, but we lost uh, New Zealand and Australian-based players as well uh, with them not being able to travel. So we were, we didn't really have serious intentions of being promoted uh, in the season that sort of I was in charge because we would, we'd lost so many players. But we just grew together and we got tight and we, and we won our first two games against uh, Slovenia and Cyprus. To be fair, we're probably favourites to win those two games. That was before Christmas, just last Christmas. And then we saw ourselves in a position that, oh, we can do this. And um, like I said, rugby is a very much an amateur sport in, in Croatia. So when my boys play for the national team, they do so with so much pride and so much sacrifice. And I've got so much time for what they do. They, they Basically, they lose money when they play for Croatia with whatever business. You've got the South boys that obviously in the tourist industry, 90% of them, and the North boys giving up their business to come and, and play. Or you've got wives that are going, why are you leaving? You know, and all this sort of stuff. So, so many sacrifices. And then to go, we beat Malta in Zagreb. So we found ourselves in a position of playing Israel in Nazareth. Yes, the miracle of Nazareth. <laughs> so we were there and um, we did the job over Israel. And, and I, I tell you, there was just so much pride in what they achieved and, and so much happiness that we brought to them. And, uh, you know, to be part of that that process and to be part of that result is going to live with me forever because uh, it's your typical underdog story. And I think if Walt Disney ever, you know, heard about us, they, he'd probably do a movie on it because it was that good. You know, it was that good. And I'm, I'm that proud. And, you know, I'll, I'll give you an example of what we've achieved. So basically, we've been promoted to a league now where there are, the other teams will be Germany, Lithuania, Switzerland, uh, Sweden, I think, and one more that escapes me. Oh, it's Ukraine. And obviously, Ukraine are going through their own troubles. But um, all those teams have divisions of teams and are semi-pro. So basically, they'll have professional players playing in France or something, but in their, in their country, they'll have a first division, second division, and so on. We've got four clubs that I pick from, four clubs, all amateur. So that's what I was picking from. We had uh, one player playing in France and one player playing in England, and that was it. And to beat those teams in our division, and now we have to compete with that. I'm telling you, it's just, it's it's the, what was that movie? It's the Mighty Duck story. Ah, uh, yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. It's just what it is. <laughs> you know, it's just, it's just unbelievable. And I'm, yeah, of course, I'm proud as a coach, but, you know, listen, a lot of good, a lot of work was done before COVID by my fellow coaches and my fellow players that sort of left this group in a superb, healthy position. And, and to get over the finish line is something special for everybody involved, not just me and this team, but for everyone involved before, you know, for the last 10 years that have been trying. Mm -hmm. um, so no, no, very special time. Um, but it's also a time to be realistic. You know, we've got to, our players now have to start working to compete at this level. We're very much super underdogs now going into this level and we've got to change our habits the way we train the way we play and you know we're you know we, we've enjoyed the now but we've got to prepare for the future now an even bigger test yeah well in, in speaking about the future and the future of croatian rugby you know you mentioned that these players you're picking from you know are having to make all these sacrifices and they're not getting paid how do you sort of 
go about and can you expect at sometime in the near future for you know Croatian rugby to become you know salaried semi-pro how you were talking about these other countries in the uh, division you know my my dream my dream jobs many jobs in England is to run rugby academies and my dream would be to run a rugby academy one in the south and one in the north alongside teenagers studying for whatever they want to study for you know and that would be a dream but you know to without painting it up anymore it just comes down to resources and money and and you know we're not a it's not a rich nation when it comes to to rugby you know so you know our, our resources are very limited um the way forward if you're asking me to you know for that solution the easy answer is is more money or more resources if anybody wanted to sponsor us out there that this would be a fantastic project to get behind but you know realistically looking at it now it's about you know coaching the coaches within the clubs, making sure the coaches, uh, you know, implementing a, a, a unique creation style of playing, uh, growing the foundations of the sport, you know, improving facilities, improving referees, each club buying in, growing extra clubs, getting the clubs that used to compete like Makaska, for example, or Dubrovnik to, to achieve having a team to complete, whether that's first or second division, you know, just keep growing little steps all the time and, and have a, a, an eye on the, on the whole project, not just the flagship team, which is obviously the national team, you know. Um, but, yeah, it's it's a lot easier said than done, my friend, because we've got a lot of barriers. And um, But, you know, I as I was mentioning before the show, um, you know, uh, the last time I did something like this, um, it brought up a new player. Um, and we're searching for new players all the time with Croatian Roots. And that new player, coincidentally, was from Cortula as well. And he was an Australian and, and he's playing, you know, decent level in Australia. And how cool is this, mate? I took him to Cortula just two days ago and he saw his grandparents for the first time in 14 years. Wow. Last time he saw him, he was eight. And now he saw them two days ago when he was 22. Uh, and he's 22 now. So how cool is that? And he's only one quarter creation, but I saw him both his grandparents and, and his and his eyes how special it was. And and anybody out there like that that can use sport to do something like that for me, I'm more than happy. To help you. Yeah, well, yeah, those. I mean, those are some of the incredible experiences that you can get. Uh, you know, through playing sports yeah, that course. are not directly, you know, a part of that sport itself. You know, you're not on the field. It's not something. It, does, that it doesn't have to always be it doesn't always have to be, you know, money that rewards you, you know, um, there's other things in life. And listen, I'm not saying we're poor, poor, the, the, the Croatia rugby union, they, they, they flew him out. They looked after him. He doesn't lose any money, you know, but um, it's just, we're not rich. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, it's definitely <clears throat> different than some of those other bigger European countries you were naming in the division and other oh, divisions. Of course. And that's, and that's what we're competing against now. But like I said, we've got nothing to lose. We've, we've gone up and if my players go up there and learn something, then that to me is fantastic, you know, and, and they can see, okay, if it doesn't work out on the chance that it doesn't work out and we come back down again, as long as we're better players and we've learned something, I'm not so, I'm not so upset, you know, hmm. but yeah. Hey, let's see what happens after, after summer. We'll see. Yeah. Well, I hope you can, you know, get some, some more players on the board here through the podcast. I'm hoping, you know, some connection, something, and um, we'll see who's, who's listening, you know, who's interested in playing, um, so you mentioned after the summers when the season starts, because I was going to ask if I'm in, you know, I'm in Makarska now. I was telling you earlier that uh, maybe yeah. I, I could check out a game or something. But oh, so. for sure, yeah. So basically, the, the season stops. For, uh, we're we're playing sevens this week in Budapest. So I'm in Zagreb coaching the sevens team, um, and then that will be it for summer. And then the club season will start up in September, mid September, and the internationals I'm talking about they won't start till end of October, start of November. 
Um, so it's sort of the Croatia rugby season sort of goes three months on, three months off because it snows too much in Zagreb over Christmas and then back on three months on, three months off and then they stop for summer. Uh, as, you were, as you were alluding to, with regards to network of players, of course, if anyone knows any players out there that are eligible for Croatia and are keen to give it a go, then, you know, you can get out a hold of me or you and, and we'll sort something out. But it's not just players. It's about people that may be able to help out with sponsorship, with resources, with, you know, anything really. You know, it's uh, like I said, we're trying to grow the sports. And for me, you know, I know it's going to sound a little bit cliche, but, you know, I was super proud of our national team when we when we got promotion. We did the Grand Slam. We won those games. But I'm just as proud seeing, you know, six six-year-olds or eight-year-olds running around the field with a rugby ball as, as well as a football, you know. So that to me is progress. Hmm. That's really cool to hear. Um, you know, I, even at the very least, you know, at least people listening to this got a better awareness of, you know, the Croatian rugby scene and, you know, that it's actually going on. Because I have to admit, I didn't know until, you know, I read the Croatia Week article about you. So, you know, at the very least, you know, people are listening and hearing. And of course, if anyone wants to play or get involved somehow, uh, you know, I'll drop some links when I release the episode. Um, but Anthony, you know, I really appreciate you coming on the podcast and you were a great guest and, you know, I was really excited to learn a little bit more about the Croatian rugby scene. No problem, Stanko. That's it for today's episode of the All Things Croatia podcast. Thanks for tuning in and I hope you all enjoyed it. You can subscribe to the Patreon and check out the All Things Croatia Instagram page to stay updated. Feel free to reach out to me with any questions, tips, or ideas, and make sure to tune back in to the next episode. Thanks again, and vidimo se!